Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We have been waiting for this day for a long time. We're thankful to be here on behalf of my family. Thank you all for your welcoming generosity, your hospitality that you've shown us, folks showing up to help us un unload the U-Haul and, and paint the house and all of the things. We are just so, so humbled, so thankful, so grateful for this church, for you guys. We're thankful to be here. Uh, we're thankful for all of you who are tuning in online. We know that these are crazy times, and so we're really thankful for technology where we can stay connected even when we're apart. Uh, we're excited. We're excited to be together. I'm excited to welcome you to, in my opinion, what is the most awkward week of the year. You guys know what I'm talking about this after Christmas week. What do we do with this space? We have a week between after Christmas and before New Year's. Some people are at work. Some people are on vacation. Some people are out of town. What do we do with this time? Do we schedule meetings? Do we not? What do we do in this in-between season after Christmas, before New Year's, while we wait? Now, the older I get, unfortunately for me, the more I realize that this is actually most of life. See, for me, I prefer like the big. I want the one time, I want the big event, I want to be able to show up for an hour and put a smile on and take care of business and then tune out. But unfortunately, church, that is not reality. Most of our lives are lived in between, in between things. The already and the not yet, we know that Jesus has come. We celebrated it. Brandon led us in song out on the plaza. We are able to sing about all the exciting Christmas things, but we also know that Jesus has not yet returned. We're in this in-between after Christmas time. This is where we live most of our lives. And so the question that we'll address today is how do we live faithfully in the in-between? How do we live faithfully after Christmas? So to answer this question, we'll be looking at some stories from Luke chapter 2. As Mary and Joseph and, and little baby Jesus, we'll see what they did after Christmas. What they did after the angel's pronouncement, after uh, Elizabeth uh, became pregnant with John the Baptist, after uh, the, the angels appeared to the shepherds, after the baby was born in the manger, after all of the celebration, after the feasts and presents in your home. How do we live faithfully? Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. If you have a pew Bible, this is going to be on page 857. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. This is what Luke tells us. He says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we see Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus waiting faithfully. Imagine this. Put yourself in, in this young couple's shoes. They just literally had angels appear from the heavens telling them about their baby boy. He's born, and now you're left with all the real-life things, the diapers, the feedings, 
the fussy babies, the sleepless nights, the stuff that real life is made of. This is before Jesus is performing miracles and casting out demons, before Jesus is teaching multitudes, before Jesus' fame is spreading and all of these things. This is just regular baby Jesus. But what we see is that Mary and Joseph follow the law. They're going through the motions of life. They're doing the exact same thing every other young couple in their position would do at this time. They're being faithful with the little. They're following the word of the law. They're presenting the sacrifices. They're doing the things that culturally everyone else would be doing. They're doing it with faithfulness. This reminds me of like my new favorite Christmas commercial. It just came out last year. It's from a Dutch pharmaceutical company called Doc Morris. And maybe you're not like me and you don't stay on top of Dutch pharmaceutical company commercials. So let me describe it for you. The only reason I know it is because it popped up on my Twitter feed last year. This commercial starts, and you see this old grandpa waking up, rolling out of bed, clicking off the alarm, and he looks outside, and he sees the neighbors are starting to put up Christmas decorations. And so you can see by the expression in his face, like the light bulb comes on. He has an idea. So grandpa goes out to the shed, moves some boxes out of the way, and finds an old, dusty kettlebell. A, a giant heavy weight. And he drags the kettlebell to the middle of the shed where there's space around the floor, and he bends down to try to pick it up, and he gets about halfway up, and he drops it. It's too heavy. So the next morning, alarm goes off, he rolls out of bed, goes out to the shed, tries to pick up the kettlebell, and he makes it all the way up this time, and he tries to extend his arms, but it's too heavy, and he drops it. Then he gets the idea to take it outside. He's going to exercise in the fresh air. So he drags the heavy kettlebell outside, and the nosy neighbor's peeking over the fence, and judging by her face, she's clearly judging him. So he decides to drag the kettlebell back inside, and we get these glimpses day after day of Grandpa going to the shed, bending down, picking up the kettlebell, standing up, and extending his arms out in front of him. This goes on through weeks, and we see that neighbors are starting to notice. Kids are starting to come by and mimic the same movements, bending down, standing up, and extending their arms out straight as well. We get the repetition, and as Grandpa continues to do this, he's going for runs. Grandpa's getting in shape. It's like those incredible training montages in the Rocky movies. Thank you. I'm not the only one who likes Rocky. And so this happens over and over. Grandpa's going through the motions. There's this faithfulness. And each time he's in the shed, bending down, picking up the weight, standing up straight, and extending his arms, we see the back of a picture frame. His eyes are fixed on it. We don't know what's in the frame. We don't know what picture is motivating him, but he's staring at this picture frame as he consistently and faithfully bends down, grabs the weight, stands up, and extends his arms straight out in front of him. And so we can tell by the snow, by the Christmas decorations, by the neighbors bringing in their Christmas trees, it's getting closer and closer to Christmas time. Grandpa continually goes through the motions. He's bending down, standing up straight, and extending his arms in front of him until it's Christmas Eve. He's got his nice suit on, his fancy bow tie. He's driving through the snow, and we see him arrive at his daughter and son-in-law's house with a beautifully wrapped present. 
He walks in and greets them, but we can tell because the camera is focused on his eyes. He is looking for something or rather someone else. His eyes look up the stairs and we get the first glimpse of her, his granddaughter. She runs down the stairs, jumps into grandpa's embrace and he hands her the gift. He takes her by the hand and walks her over to the Christmas tree where she opens the present and reveals that it is the star, the golden star that goes on top of the Christmas tree. And at that moment, we see Grandpa bend down, pick her up, extend his arms out in front of him so that she can put the star on top of the Christmas tree. Camera cuts back to the shed and we see this beautiful picture, the picture of the child the picture of his granddaughter, the picture his eyes have been focused on, this picture of the child is what motivates him through the mundane. This picture of the child is what inspires his faithfulness and the monotony, the day in, day out, week in, week out of life. When things get hard, we see him look at the child. Church, I wonder if this is what Jesus is calling us to in this moment to fix our eyes on the child we just celebrated yesterday, to look to him for hope, for inspiration, for motivation in these times of the mundane, these times in between Christmas and New Year's, after Christmas as we wait, we can wait with faithfulness when we fix our eyes on the child. Now, what does this actually look like? That sounds great, it's an expiring commercial, but what does this look like in our lives? I told you, I've shared with you, I would much rather stand and up here and preach a sermon than try to be like consistently patient with my boys. This is much easier than that. Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. But I wonder if instead of God calling us to some big, miraculous, exciting adventure, I wonder if he is just calling us to reimagine the ordinary. I, I had a friend a number of years ago challenge me in this. I, as I was, um, you know, being a great Christian and complaining about my commute, which the irony is not lost on me, like the guy coming from Arizona is complaining to people in Southern California about the commute, so sorry about that. <clears throat> but I was, I was grumbling, um, I, was, I was working in a homeless shelter at the time, and I, I felt like I was wasting so much of my day in the car in this commute. And he said, well, reimagine it. God's creative, you're created in his image, how can you reimagine what you do with your commute? So we came up with this, this prayer liturgy for my morning commute. When I left the driveway, I would pray for my family because they were right there, and drive through the neighborhood, turn out of the neighborhood onto the main street, and I would see all the shops and everything, so I'd pray for the flourishing of my city, pray for the mom and pop businesses, pray for peace and safety and all of the ways that shalom is expressed in our cities. I get on the freeway and we lived in the southeast corner of kind of Phoenix Metro and so I got to see the desert, the dry, barren desert, but I also got to drive by dairy farms and I got to smell all of the things that come along with dairy farms. And so that stench would remind me of my sin. So that was my time of confession. As I continued up the 202 freeway, I would see the mountains and it would remind me of the majesty of God. So I would spend some time praising God for who he is. And then the freeway would curve and we would actually go past uh, one of the students in the high school ministry that my wife and I led at the time. So I would pray for the ministry, pray for our church, pray for our small group, those types of things. And then as I got off the freeway to the shelter, I would pray for my work, pray for my vocation. Now, 
that makes me sound like the super holy guy, so I gotta tell you another story so you know who I actually am. <laughs> well, that was really helpful and, and uh, a recommended practice if that interests you. Uh, another practice that I started was one way more out of desperation. Uh, you see, in my house, only our youngest son is a morning person. Our youngest son wakes up like the most joyful human on God's earth. For the rest of us, we are not morning people. And what's, what's that, pro you guys know the proverb, the, the loud blessing in the morning will be taken as a curse? This plays itself out every day in my morning, and so I realize I gotta do something as a dad to like not lose it all the time. So the idea that came to mind is, uh, if I knew that I was gonna pray with my boys when I drove them to school, that would help me, hopefully, sometimes, like keep myself in check, right? Like I didn't wanna be that guy that like loses it and then like, okay, let's pray to Jesus now. And so we started this practice, and it started with uh, what the boys would call normal prayer, where we just pray and talk to God, and that was good. And then we got, we got wild. We started to adventure with our prayers, and we did things like listening prayer. Or uh, one of their favorites, we would do popcorn prayer, where we would go in a circle and just say one thing we're thankful for. It could be anything from uh, our house to clean water to Ninja Turtles to their school, whatever came to mind, we would just say what we're thankful for. And so this practice to try to help me uh, maintain patience and self-control and kindness towards my kids, I, I realized over time started to shape them and develop them. And so in the times when mom would drive them to school or grandma and grandpa would drive them to school, they were the most adamant uh, reminders of, hey, we pray on the way to school. This is what we do. The faithfulness that we maintain in the ordinary stuff of life shapes us. I wonder what the Spirit is inviting you to reimagine. I wonder if there's an aspect of your, your day. Maybe it's not your commute or your drive to drop the kids off. Maybe it's something else that God is inviting you to reimagine as you wait faithfully like Mary and Joseph. How is the Spirit inviting you to reimagine your life? What are ways that you can bring some of the mundane aspects of life under the Lordship of Christ? It doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be a brand new adventure. It can be as simple as a drive to work. I can't help but think of Mary in the midst of this. I can't think, help but think of how Mary's faithfulness would have shaped Jesus as he grew up. I wonder how many meals, how many meals did Mary prepare for the bread of life? I wonder how many baths Mary would give the one who would wash away our sins. I wonder how many times Mary picked up him who would pick up his cross and carry our sins. I wonder how often Jesus would think back to Mary's faithfulness, to her wise words as he was teaching the crowds. The everyday aspects of our life have an impact not just on ourselves, but on others. I wonder how the Spirit is inviting us as a church to reimagine those things. Let's keep reading. We'll pick up in verse 25, and we're gonna meet here a, a man named Simeon. <clears throat> Luke tells us in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, Simeon says a lot. And because I care about you guys and no one wants to hear a two-hour-long sermon, we're just going to focus on one aspect of this chunk. There's a ton that God is revealing here through Simeon, but we're going to focus in on what God has said to Simeon and how Simeon responds. As we see Mary and Joseph wait with faithfulness, we're seeing now Simeon wait with remembrance. Simeon is waiting with remembrance because God told him he would live to see the Messiah. And Simeon believed the Lord and responds accordingly. Now, we don't know when God told him this. Scripture doesn't tell us how many birthdays Simeon lived through wondering, would this be the year? Scripture doesn't tell us how many ways Simeon watched the Roman Empire oppress God's people, longing for this coming Messiah. Simeon, the scripture doesn't tell us how many times Simeon had to pay unjust taxes to Rome in the Roman Empire while he's waiting, waiting for the liberation of God's people, waiting for the restoration that the Messiah would bring. We don't know how long he waited, but he waited. He waited faithfully because God told him so. Now, Simeon is a person just like you and me, so I don't presume that Simeon never doubted. There had to be those moments, just like we have. But ultimately, God spoke, and Simeon believed, and he showed up. I wonder what it was like that morning. I wonder what it was like when the Holy Spirit impressed upon him, today is the day, go to the temple. Did he know what would await him? I wonder what it was like as he was walking toward the temple, unaware that maybe coming up another road, a young family would be walking toward the temple as well. I wonder what it was like when he locked eyes with this young couple and saw this cute, chubby little baby Jesus. I wonder if that surprised him. I wonder if Simeon expected that the one who would overturn Rome could not yet roll over. I wonder if he was surprised that God's anointed was still dependent on his parents for life. But we have this picture of this beautiful moment. This moment when the light bulb comes on, when everything begins to make sense for Simeon, when he sees Jesus face to face and he understands God has fulfilled his promise. 
I wonder if you have moments like that. Moments when God has spoken to you. Maybe just impress something upon your spirit. Maybe it's a verse that just keeps coming up. Maybe it's something that a brother or sister in Christ has said to you, those promises that God speaks to his people. I wonder what that promise is. I'm thankful in moments like this as the Spirit reminds us of some of those promises that God has spoken that he has been faithful to to fulfill in our lives. And some of those not yet promises. Some of those promises that we hold on to but we have not yet seen them come to fruition. Those are the hard ones. We've had some of these different promises. I think when, when Aaron and I were up here for the q and I, I shared about um, feeling a call to vocational ministry in, in our old church in, in Arizona, and the crazy thing was I just had this weird sense that it would rain the day I started, and it actually rained for the entire week in Arizona. Yeah, in the desert. It's not lost on me, um, the goodness of God and how much it's rained this week here. I had a sense that our last Christmas Eve service in Arizona last year, the Spirit was saying, this is going to be the last one. You won't be here next year. And I thought, that's weird. Why would that be the case? We loved Arizona. Our community was there. Our family was there. And that came to mind a couple evenings ago as, as we were singing our, our Christmas songs out on the plaza, not in Arizona, but here in Long Beach. It's incredible when God speaks. I wonder what are those moments for you that help as you wait with remembrance, that help when things get difficult, when times get hard, when it's hard to have faith and bitterness seems much more appealing. What are the promises of God that he has spoken over you that you can cling to, that help you to ground yourself in Christ? I wonder if even now the Spirit is speaking something over you that word of encouragement, that twinge of conviction in your belly. We serve a God who is living and active, who cares about us and speaks to us. Even here, even today, he is present with us. I wonder what he is saying that will help you wait faithfully with remembrance. Finally, we'll look at Anna. Anna the prophetess. As Mary and Joseph waited with faithfulness and Simeon waits with remembrance, we're going to see Anna wait with hope. Pick up with me, if you will, in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So we meet Anna. And Luke gives us an incredible amount of detail in a few short verses about who Anna is. She's from one of the lesser-known tribes of Israel, uh, we don't know anything about her father. Uh, we, we learn that Anna is a prophetess, and we know that she's a widow. 
Most commentators would agree that Anna is also childless. And so I understand um, as a pastor, as someone who preaches, when we talk about these things, these can be difficult for a number of reasons. So I want to be sensitive to that. I also realize preaching in the middle of the holidays, uh, right after Christmas, there can be a heightened level of sensitivity to, to some of these things. People are grieving. This Christmas is not like maybe some of the Christmases you remember. And we see this lived out in Anna's life. But in Anna, we see hope in the midst of her pain. You see, Anna is always at the temple. I wonder how many wedding processions did Anna the widow watch at the temple? I wonder how many child dedications like Mary and Joseph were doing right now as we meet Anna did childless Anna watch? When we keep our eyes on people around us, sometimes it's hard to wait faithfully. But we see Anna who's been denied a husband. Anna who's been denied a child and a grandchild. We see Anna continue to deny herself in fasting and in prayer. Why on earth would she do that? We see Anna wait with hope because her eyes are focused on the Lord because she is remembering God's promises, because she knows it won't always feel like this, that a better day is coming. She believes God's promises about the end of this story we're all living, that God created everything good, that sin has vandalized every good thing that God has created, that God has promised a redeemer, and that Jesus has come, she's meeting him now. We on this side of the story know that he will return. Oftentimes, we live in the same tension that Anna did, the in-between, but we know the end of the story. And so Anna is able to press in. Anna is able to press in through worship, to press in through prayer, to press in through fasting, devoting her life at the temple, worshiping God and telling others about who he is. This is what we see in the life of Anna. And so um, I'm a little bit of a nerd. You'll learn that about me. Uh, one of the things that I did in, in my sermon prep was Google. So Jesus is 40 days old, according to the, what the law prescribed. That's about six weeks old. Developmentally, what happens to a baby at the sixth week of life? You know what it is? No, because you guys aren't nerds like me. Um, so this is what it is. At six weeks old, a baby can lock eyes with a caregiver and acknowledge them through a smile. Now, I would imagine any human, human meeting baby Jesus and having him smile at them would be meaningful. How much more so for Anna the widow? How much more so through childless and grandchildless Anna, holding this sweet baby, having him lock eyes with her and smile? It's incredible to me how sometimes when we press into the areas of brokenness in our lives, we feel God's smile. I don't know about you, I don't look forward to those times. I don't look forward to those times of therapy where I have to unpack my trauma and work, do all of the hard work to try to increase my health and the benefit of my family because I'm increasing my health. It's not fun. I don't put it on the calendar and count down the days like when I go on vacation. But God invites us to do that. 
Just as we celebrated Jesus, according to John chapter 1, uh, uh, stepping in, putting on flesh, moving into the neighborhood and dwelling among us in the midst of the brokenness and sin and chaos, God still does that in our own souls. He looks for those areas of brokenness and invites us to meet him there. And that is how we can have hope in the midst of this. Hope in the midst of the challenges. Hope as we wait. Hope as we ask, how long, oh Lord, when will this season be over? We thought that COVID was ending. How long? But we are a people who wait with hope. We're a people who can follow not only in the footsteps of Anna, but in the footsteps of Jesus, who knew what he had to suffer, but walked through it faithfully. And he shares his spirit with us now so that we can also wait faithfully. We can also wait with remembrance. We can also wait with hope as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Church, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence. Jesus, we thank you for the example that you set before us. Spirit, we thank you you for the ways that you have been speaking to us through your word. Would you help us to wait faithfully? Would you bring to mind those reminders, those promises that you have given us that we can look back to? Jesus, would you remind us of the hope that we have in who you are? that you will return, that one day, that the day is coming, there will be a day that we wake up like Simeon not knowing what you have in store when you will wipe every tear from every eye, when you will make every sad thing come untrue in the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Jesus, when you will reconcile heaven and earth and the new Jerusalem will be here and we will celebrate and feast with you and with brothers and sisters from every tongue and tribe and nation, we wait for that day eagerly. Jesus, help us to wait faithfully. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.